Coming up this time, more classic cluffy stories. So I went in to see the gaffer and I said, I'd, you know, I'd like a pay rise. And he threw a copy of the, the Evening Post at me. He said, put that in your shoes, that'll rise you off the ground a bit. I can still remember Bob Wilson doing football focus or football, whatever it was, at dinner time, yeah. saying, this is Forest Waterloo, this will be it. That they won't beat Man United. And then when we beat them four, I think everybody learned to say, we, we better not say any more here. When I was uh, working for a living, Manchester United were the biggest club in Europe. They hated us. We had the audacity to beat them. Same with Liverpool. We knocked them out of the European Cup. They couldn't believe it. Cluffy used to say, get the ball and give it the little fat so-and-so <laughs> on the line and, and then we'll go from there. Um, Robbo was one of these players who would always receive the ball no matter what. You know, how, how tight he was being marked, it was always available. He would always make sure that if he couldn't get it, you know, there was, there was something else on. But he was a talented, talented boy who basically didn't know his own ability. I've got a picture here, if I just reach across, the 77-78 team, uh, the team picture, and there you are in between the great man and Peter Shilton. Yeah. When you see yourself there with all, all the other great names, mm. what sort of comes to your mind? Well, I was always said to stand in between the people who were ugly. So I thought I'd stand next to the gaffer and Shilts wasn't, yeah. And, and Burnsy was behind me, so I was better looking than Burnsy. All that and the chance to win a book signed by one of Cluffy's European Cup legends. Hello, I'm Colin Barrett. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with Marcus Holt. The one person you wanted to walk through that door at quarter to three was Brian Clough. Because when he walked through that door at quarter to three, we were ready. Welcome along to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton from brianclough.com. My guest today is a man who scored a momentous goal during Cluffy's European glory years. And he has some fond memories of Brian who once called him a model professional, I'm told. It's Colin Barrett. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Marcus. Now, the goal I was referring to, of course, was the one against Liverpool, first round of the European Cup. All these years later, do, do people still like to talk about that particular goal with you? I think it's the only question they remember to ask me. Because um, uh, there's one or two others that I keep telling them. Well, I did score in the Anglo-Scottish Cup final. I scored one or two others, but they always remember that goal. And that that goal is, is mainly, well, basically, it's 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 my living, really. <laughs> it was a tremendous goal, and I can still see it in my mind. And we'll, we'll come on to that a, a bit later. But looking back, can you remember what happened when you first heard that Cluffy was interested in signing you for Forest back in 1976? I think it was. Um, in, well, yeah, I can remember it uh, well as if it was yesterday. Um, I wanted a transfer from Manchester City and Tony Buck was the manager then. And um, I asked for a transfer and I went home and obviously no mobile phones, but he rang the, house, the, the home number. He said, um, I've got Brian Clough on the phone from Forest and he wants to take you on loan. And I said, oh, I don't want to go on loan. Um, um, I know what loan players about. You go on loan for a month and then you come back to Man City and then you go, you know further forward. I want a permanent move. So he said, OK, I'll tell him that. So uh, next phone call, within 20 minutes, is Brian Clough. And he says, Hey, 
oh, yeah, you don't want to sign for me. I said, it's not that. I said, oh, you don't want to play for me. I said, it's not that. I said, it's the fact that you're only offering me a loan and I want a permanent move. And he said, I can understand that. And he said, uh, but let's think about it the other way. He said, you don't know me and I don't know you. Why don't we meet and then we can talk about it and then you can decide then. So I said, okay, fair enough. He said, uh, where do you know? I said, well, I'm in Stockport. And he said, well, I, he, he was in Derby, which I knew he would be. And um, he said, well, I said, Leak Town Football Ground. I'll meet you outside of there. He said, I'll meet you outside of there in an hour. So one hour later, I was outside Leak Town Football Cup and he rolls down in his car. Um, I get out of my car. He said, jump in. So I went in his car. We went 200 yards down the road and into a pub. And then we just started to talk to each other about the forthcoming event. And then eventually, yeah. after that meeting, he said, right, I'll see you at the city ground at 12 o'clock Saturday. Um, you're coming on loan um, and I'll sort it out in Man City End. You make sure you're there for 12 o'clock and I'll see you Saturday. And he didn't give me a lift back to my car. I had to walk back to my car. <laughs> and so he persuaded you to go on loan, even though you were a little bit apprehensive. Yeah, I mean, it was a classic, classic clough. Well, you're playing in Man City's reserves at the minute, uh, or in and out, and um, you'll be playing in my first team. So you're better off playing in my first team and, you know, than you're playing in the reserves at City. So I said, OK, I can see that. And then he said, then we'll get to know each other. You come for a month and then I'll tell you then. So I went for the month. At the end of the month, he said, ah, I've extended it to three months. So I thought, well, that's not fair. He said, it's the way it is, son. <laughs> like it, I lump it. And so I stayed to the end of the season. And then he said, yeah, I'll sign you. And at that point, um, I said to him, OK, um, what's the fee? And he said, they want 30,000, but I'm only paying 29 because I won't pay 30,000 for you. So I said, OK, fine. I said, but I've asked for a move. And I said, the only reason is, is that because you ask for a move, then you, you forego the, your 5% um, of the transfer fee. Um, so he said, don't worry, come off the transfer list on Thursday, I'll sign you Friday, and then you'll get your 5%. So that, that's what happened. It works out in it the end. Out. Yeah, yeah. I read in Morris Edwards' book, he, he was a scout for, for Cluffy, that he'd been to Man City to watch Tommy Booth, I think it was, and ended up recommending you instead. Yeah. Did, you, did you hear that? I heard that many years later. Um, and it was like, I think I've seen somebody, I said, I don't understand why what's happened. Um, but then Cluffy yeah. obviously got hold of me and obviously from then it, everything changed. Did you sense in those first few months with, with Clough, and this was before uh, Peter Taylor joined, that something exciting, something big was about to happen? Not really. I think but from my own point of view, obviously I wanted to get a permanent move and start my career uh, again. And, and then as things aspired, I don't think even they dreamt what would happen, happened. Um, so I just said, well, you're on the, you, you made the move, do the best you can, he signs you and then you start your footballing career again. Um, and then after that, it was just a case of, you, well, you've, you've signed, you've made the decision, you've moved, then you're in the, the team one week and if you're doing all right, you stay in the team the next week and, you know, as the football story goes, the, the rest is history. Yeah. You began, I think, at right-back mm. for Forrest, mm. uh, and obviously you're, you're so well-known for playing at left-back, and you played in, in the centre as well, mm. I think, in, in defence. Did Cluffy give you any specific instructions when you went out, or was it just fairly basic stuff? 
bottom line, he didn't necessarily have to teach you how to kick a football. He expected you to know that. So that's the rock bottom basics. And then after that, it was basics. He said, basically, get hold of the ball and pass it to somebody who's a better player than you. So that was it. Um, and, and it didn't change from that. He said, if the ball comes in my penalty box, centre-half, if you, if you head it or if you can't head it, then new full-backs, you head it. So it was very, very basic. It's principles of football. Did you prefer right-back or left-back? Or as long as you were in the side, you didn't mind? I didn't mind. I didn't mind exactly those correct what you say there, as long as I was in the side, the side, I didn't care where I played. And luckily for me, I was adaptable all along the back line. Uh, I even played in midfield for a time. Uh, I did a spell for about 10 minutes up front, which didn't last long. Um, and then you just, you know, it's, it, the, the one thing about in those days, you had small squads than they are today. And if somebody was injured, somebody would have to fill in. And normally along the back line, it was me that moved and nobody else moved. So uh, luckily for me, I, was, I could do that. Um, and luckily for those other people who just, you know, they just filled straight into the, 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 what they know. So that versatility must have been really, really good for you. Uh, I understand, that, I think when you were a youngster, you did play up front quite a bit. I did. I did as an amateur. I played up front. And when I went to Man City, I went as a, a forward player. Um, and then they converted me. It was Johnny Hart, um, Paul Hart's dad, that uh, was one of the trainers at Man City. Yeah. And we were out this this game, and we had a game against the first team. I was um, and I was playing, and we had this man-to-man session. And I happened to be Marky and Mike Sowerby, um, and in a defensive mode. Um, and then from that moment on, they decided that that's where I was going to play. I was going to play more defensively than I was attacking. Um, even though I thought it was half decent going forward, um, they they felt differently. Yeah. Um, but it was so you know it was it's a case of you know needs must if that's what we wanted to do I I could do it. Yeah, and of course at Forest on the left hand side you were playing alongside John Robertson, mm-hmm. who is obviously a, another Forest legend in in the European Cup victories. What was it like playing alongside him? It's quite simple because. Cluffy used to say, get the ball and give it the little fat so-and-so <laughs> on the line and, and then we'll go from there. Um, Robbo was one of these players who would always receive the ball no matter what, no matter what was, you know, how, how tight he was being marked, it was always available. He would always make sure that if he couldn't get it, you know, there was, there was something else on. Um, but he was a talented, talented boy who basically didn't know his own ability. Um, so, but he was just sensational. Uh, at the time and um, from their point from the club's point of view at that moment in time we had a lad called Terry Curran who played Ooh. down the right hand side Yeah, and I think Clough and Taylor staked their thing down Terry Curran's side and then Terry got injured in a serious injury and he, I think he did his knee and um, then we didn't have anybody we had, Martin was down that side anyway so the roles were reversed. You know, everything used to go down the right-hand side with Terry Curran. Now the roles were switched and everything's going down the left-hand side with John Robertson. And then you saw the best of John Robertson. So luckily for them, it worked. And luckily for us, you know, on, for everybody else concerned, it worked for the club as well. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you made your debut for Forest, I think Cluffy invited you into his office. Yeah, the, well, that was a classic. We, going back to when I signed and I met him at the City Ground, uh, the first game, I think the first game was Fulham. And um, I sat down, my wife Sue was with me, and um, first thing he asked as I walked through, uh, I just said, hello, Mr Clough. He said, uh, 
I called. He said, uh, do you want a drink? I said, no, I'm hopefully I'm playing this afternoon. He said, oh, he said, son, you're playing. He said, don't worry about that. He said, but if it makes you play better or it makes you play well, have a drink. So I don't know whether he was testing me out, but I said, no, I'm okay. And uh, I obviously played that day and everything, I thought everything was all right. Yeah, as you've already said, that the rest is history. What was it like playing in that title-winning team, you know, having won promotion and then absolutely storming the first division. I mean, you even played in that fantastic 4-0 win over Manchester United yeah. at Old Trafford. Yeah. What was that like? That first half of that season, um, I can only say it was the best football I, as a, an individual, uh, I've ever played. Um, and after Christmas, uh, it became a battle. Um, and it was a, an intense battle. You know, we, we seemed to gloss over the fact that sometimes we were battered by sides but we came away with a 1-0 or a 0-0 or one each draw or whatever. We got a result from somewhere. and um, But we didn't play particularly well in terms of football-wise after Christmas, but we did battle well. Um, we were a side that was equipped to do most things and we could play if you wanted to play. We could kick if we wanted to kick and, you know, no problem there. Um, but it's, it was just the big turning point, I think, for all of us at that moment in time was the, the Old Trafford 4-0. Because then I think we all realised, hold on something, we've got something here. We really have got something. And because um, I can still remember Bob Wilson doing football focus or football, whatever it was at dinner time, yeah. saying, this is Forest Waterloo. This will be it. That they won't beat Man United. And then when we beat them four, um, I think everybody learned to say, we, we better not say any more here. And, and then the rest, as I say, we went on and virtually, well, we won the league with about three or four games to go. But I say the second, first half was brilliant. First half of the season, it was free-flowing, everything was hunky-dory, but the second half of the season was a battle. And, of course, you went on and helped Forrest reach the League Cup final that season, but it was injury that struck and you weren't able to, to actually play in the final. Did Cluffy have any sympathy for you? Um, it doesn't like people being injured. No. Um, I know that for a fact. Um, and it, I think it was just basically a, a football... It's a, the way it is. It's just a work-related injury. You've got, you've got an injury. I had a stress fracture and um, I couldn't walk. And <clears throat> he said, well, you can't play. And so you, you deal with it after that. Yeah. Um, and throughout my career, I think I've missed five finals, you know, including two at Man City, um, for various reasons. And um, you know, I eventually played it to Southampton, the next one. Um, so that I, I was really lucky in that one. Yeah, and the, the Charity Shield as well. I think you played yeah. in, in that one. So it must have been good to have come through those bad times and, and play at Wembley. Well, I, it's every young boy's dream to do two things. One at that time was to play at Wembley and two was to play for your country. I never managed the blame for the country bit. But to play at Wembley and you know against Ipswich, it was, I think, in the Charity Shield, I thought, well, I've made it now. Because the only chances you saw anybody play at Wembley in those days were either a cup final or an international. Now, in, now everybody can play at Wembley. Now you have playoffs, you have various other competitions. So there are more competitions for you to get a chance to play at Wembley. But in the old days, um, you were very rare unless you were in a final of some sort. You also played in that crucial game at Coventry that won the title. It was a nil-nil in the end. Fantastic save from Peter Shilton that everyone remembers. Um, 
what was the mood like after that? Because I've, I've read and heard elsewhere that it was you'd won the lead, but it was still quite subdued. It was, yeah, it was in a way because I think we now it, it didn't really dawn on us what we'd done. I think we at uh, that particular moment in time we come off the the, the pitch on and as a football match it was nil nil and we got a nil nil battering. You know, goalkeeper had one of those days where you could. have Play to the cows come home and you wouldn't have beaten Peter Shilton that day. So we got the point, we got in the dressing room and Cluffy said, right, on the bus, home. Um, but we went out into Nottingham, don't get me wrong, when, we, when the penny really <laughs> dropped and yeah. we, we all said, right, let's go and have a beer and yeah. we did it in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture here, um, if I just reach across, the 77-78 the team, mm. uh, the team picture, and there you are in between the great man and Peter Shilton, yeah. we've just been talking about. When you see yourself there with all, all the other great names, mm. what sort of comes to your mind? Well, I was always said to stand in between the people who are ugly. So I thought I'd stand next to the gaffer, and <laughs> Shilts wasn't, yeah. And, and Burnsy was behind me, so I was better looking than Burnsy. Yeah. So I thought to myself, I'm in a, a good place here. <laughs> um, but no, I think if you look at that team yeah. sheet, there are what, 13, 14 players on there? Um, and that was it. That was our squad, 14 players, 15 players. You did go to 16 players when we went into Europe, but other than that, those were the bulk of the players that saw out, I think we played 60 or 70 games that season, and we played, between us, we played in all those games. Well, we'll take a short break now um, for a competition to win a book signed by Colin, and then we'll be back to talk about memories of that goal against Liverpool and some more cluffy stories. If you don't see me after half time, it means you've, you've been bloody rubbish. <laughs> and if you're not rubbish today, that'll be a change. And now here's the chance for you to win a book signed by Colin Barrett. It's a copy of one of my books. It's Brian Clough, 50 Defining Fixtures. And the question is, from which club did Cluffy sign Colin Barrett? All you have to do is put the answer and your details in the entry form, and that's on the podcast page of the tribute website, brianclough.com. So to win that book signed by Colin Barrett, just let us know from which club did Cluffy sign Colin. And uh, all the terms and conditions are on the podcast page of brianclough.com. Good luck. It's the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, and I'm with Colin Barrett. And I think, Colin, you had quite an unusual response from Cluffy when you went to see him about a pay rise once. Um, they offered me a contract, a new contract. In those days, they had to offer you a contract before your contract had finished and maybe a week before the last game of the season. They had to, you won a retain list and, and they had to put that retain list out before the last game of the season. Um, but they have to offer you a contract and what they did, all they do is offer you the same money that you've been on for two years and they've, yeah. they've offered you a contract. Yeah. So I went in to see the gaffer and I said, I'd, you know, I'd like a pay rise. And he threw a copy of the, the Evening Post at me. He said, put that in your shoes, that'll rise you off the ground a bit. And that was it. Walked out of the office, didn't get a pay rise until um, about a month later when actually my contract was up and then we renegotiated um, my contract for the next couple of years. I think, generally speaking, you got on quite well with Cluffy, didn't you? What was he like to work for on a day-to-day -day basis? 
it was, again, well, I say very, very, very basic. He was my boss, really. So the boss-player relationship, he was a little bit more distant than they probably are today. Um, but uh, the way I describe Brian Clough is that um, I would run through a brick wall for him. And I mean that sincerely. But I wouldn't cross the road to have a drink with him. Now, that sounds a bit strange, um, I mean, you know, even though I probably would cross the road to have a drink with him. But I certainly wouldn't have gone out of my way to initiate that drink. Uh, whereas if he said, Colt, you see that wall there? I want you to run through it. I would have done. And th that was the inspiring man management, I guess, of him. As I say, it's a very basic, very basic talking. He expected you to know your job. He expected you to go across that white line and you make your own decisions. He said he could give you the broad outline of how to perform or what he wants expected of you. But it was down to you when you crossed that white line. And I think footballers, I might be wrong, but footballers today, they believe that they have to be told every single thing that happens. Whereas I believe you make your own decisions when you cross that white line. You make your own decisions whether you pass the ball, you make your own decisions whether you get up and head the ball, all those things, you make your own decisions. Whereas they think it's somebody else's fault. And, it's, and I believe um, that a footballer, when he crosses that white line, you've had all the information you need, but you have to make decisions yourself when you cross that white line. And on that note, you made the decision that night against Liverpool to take the ball forward. Mm. And it was that fantastic goal, first round of the European Cup. It, was, it made it 2-0 on the night, um, which made it extra special. What can you remember of, of that particular moment and the build-up to it? Well, obviously, we got the first goal with Gary, Gary Burles, um, and we won nil up with uh, 10 minutes to go. We only went to five minutes, I think it was. And then, from my point of view, I was just blocking them going forward, and I blocked it once, and then I blocked it twice, and then it fell to Gary Burles on the left-hand side, um, and I just went. And, um, you know, he, he crossed the ball, Woodcock, and then I scored a goal. But the interesting thing afterwards in the dressing room, Martin O'Neill, who was subbed that night, tells the story of Clough and Taylor in the dugout. And Clough and Taylor in the dugout are going, what's he doing? Where's he going? Get back, get back, get back. Oh, brilliant goal, well done. <laughs> and then and apparently in an interview after with yeah. the press, I think one of them said... Um, we always encourage our fullbacks to go forward. And I just thought, oh, that's hilarious, that. Because I, I, if I hadn't scored, I know there was going to be a fine coming. I know all that sort of thing. <laughs> but from my point of view, it just... I, I was always taught, you know, when you're going forward and when you're, you're trying to engage, you're, 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 if you're in a positive mood, you make sure you're available for somebody else going forward. And that's what we did. As I say, it was 2-0 on the night. That goal is seen as so important because psychologically it really more or less finished Liverpool off, didn't it, in that tie? I know there was still more work to do, but 2-0 was much better than 1-0. Um, that's what you know, Bertles said to Emily News, I think, oh no, to Phil Thompson, wasn't it? Because yes. um, Phil Thompson said to him halfway through the game, 1-0's not enough. And then when we got the second goal, Bertles said to uh, Thompson, well, is two goals enough? Um, we thought we could defend because that was our talent. You know, we were a good attacking side as well, but we could defend very, very well. Because when we won the league, I think we only conceded something like 21 goals in 40-odd games. And Schultz only conceded 
15 of those in 38 or 40 games that he played. So we were defensively pretty sound and we felt we could uh, defend a 2-0. Having said that, you know, um, it did help the fact that they didn't score. So you couldn't count on me for getting them through because they won 2-0 at home, 0-0 away. Can you remember how you felt that moment? Because I can still see you with, with one of your, your arms in the air just mm. running away. It was such a brilliant volley. Mm. Uh, I thought it was a classic. But, <laughs> um, but it's, um, I, the older I get, I tell them, the, fur, the fur, farther out I am. Mm. So I know it was only about five or six yards out when I volleyed it. <laughs> but I've told everybody I was 25 yards out and I volleyed it in the top corner. And nobody ever sees the goal nowadays. So um, yeah, you know, I've yeah. got away with that. Yeah, yeah. But it was still... Still took a lot of guts to do. I mean, for Woodcock to head it delicately to you. Oh. And you're right in front of the goal, but it must have been very easy to, to have just flung it over the yeah. bar. Um, you just you just hope to connect, and, yeah. <clears throat> which I did. And um, I just felt that uh, it's everything you've been taught, really. Yeah. You know, the ball's there. Don't snatch at it. Just swing through the ball. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, you know, luckily for me... Nobody got hold of it. It went straight in the back of the net. And, and they're saying, we're now talking about it. And if I'd have had a pound for everybody that's asked me the question, I'd be a multimillionaire yeah, now. I bet you would. I bet you would. Do you think you, your experience as a striker in those very early days would have helped you in that moment? I think making sure that I hit the back of the net was a m- massive importance because I do know that I would have got fined. <laughs> and, I, and I'd sooner have the ball in the back of the net than getting a fine from Brian Clough. Yeah, you did, they used to come in envelopes with a tree yeah, on, didn't tree, they? Yeah, yes. yeah red tree. D- did you get any fines at no, all? No, I was looking. I mean, the only person that the only person I know that ever got a fine was Kenny Burns for a bad pass. He's the only person that was fined for a bad pass, um, and he got a twenty-five pound fine. Uh, I think it was twenty-five pound, and he got that at half time. The envelope was there waiting for him when he came in, and it was for a bad pass. And Kenny always says, from then on, he never made. He, he didn't want the ball. He just gave it to somebody else. You must have got a good bonus from that first uh, first match because uh, well, didn't they wait yeah, they wait did. the bonus? Yeah, so yeah. it was um, the first match was yeah. the most important. Yeah, I think they realised that um, when we won the league, um, we thought this is it, Europe, and then we draw the European champions in Liverpool. Um, and Clough and Cluffy certainly realised. He said, "Look, this is the biggest hurdle we've got to get over, and then we'll deal with whatever comes along." as we go along. And um, he said, right, he said, if money's your motivation, he said, we'll squash that right away. So he, he front-loaded the bonuses. So he said, now you've got no excuse. So I've taken that off the table. And I know and money wasn't the object. It was the fact you were playing Liverpool and the fact you wanted to go through into the next round of the European Cup. And then the second round of the European Cup, the bonus went back down to rock bottom basic. So because of that, and then eventually, you know, they went through and, and everything was hunky-dory after that, really. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, injury struck again, so you didn't play in the second leg against Liverpool. You, you, you did come back from injury, and I think mm. you even scored coming back against Everton. Yeah. Um, that, that, that must have been a really good feeling. Well, that was, it, was, it was a strange effect, because I'd been injured after the Liverpool game, and, um, and then I got back into the side l- later on, and Viv Anderson got himself injured, so I went to right-back. Then and I went to right back a fortnight before the League Cup final against Southampton, and the first game back in the first team was at Everton, and I said to everybody, 
I scored that goal against Liverpool, and you all remember that goal, but the best goal of my career was that one at Everton. And nobody's got it on camera. Nobody's got it on video. Oh. Nobody's got it anywhere. Oh. So that's my story. I scored a better goal against Everton in a 1-1 draw. Um, and then the next week, we were at Southampton. So I've got my life's ambition to play at Wembley again, if you like, yeah. but also play in the cup final and also win the cup final. So in that two-week period, was great. And then I think it was about a week or so after that, my knee went again. And then the surgeon said, I think you should call it a day this season and we'll see you again next season. And unfortunately, in that time, I, well, I played in the 3-3 Cologne game at the city ground. Yeah. And then after that game, um, the surgeon said, uh, I think you'd call it a day this season and we'll see how you are uh, for next season. And I never really recovered, to be honest. And um, so, you know, I missed the final, mm. <laughs> missed the European Cup final. Um, and so that's, mm. the, that's the downside of football. Yes, yeah, the, the, the perils of, of injury. Do you still get a, a medal in the, for the European Cup? No, never got an original medal. Um, there wasn't one available. Um, there was only 16 medals minted, I think. And they um, they all went to the players, uh, although there there is an issue there. Um, I, I, obviously, I don't know whether to tell you that issue, or well, I will do anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, after the final of the um, European Cup, um, sixteen medals were handed out. There were no subs used on that day, so there's five subs, and and they came in the dressing room at the end of the game against Malmo. And Clough said, I want all those medals on the table there. And the players who played said, no, 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 not having that. So he said, all right, you players that have played, you keep your medals, but I want the five European Cup medals on that table. And um, so they put them there. I didn't, it didn't bother me because I didn't get one. So, um, but consequently, I do know that three of those lads never got their original medals back. Um, so there's a bit of taste, a really bit of taste in my mouth, these lads never got their proper medals, but there was nothing we could do about it. And the players themselves, in some respects, thought because they never played, it didn't mean as much. I know that sounds daft, um, but when you see the way they give European medals out today or any cup final medal, even the gardener gets the medal. And um, and in, as I say, those in 16... Well, and we had a young lad called Gary Mills who um, played in one of the European rounds. And because he crossed crossed the white line, he deserved the medal. Mm. And I think even in the European history of the world, uh, European Cup, they still mention Gary because he was the youngest player to have played in a European match at that time. Even though he was so, he came on and he played. And they, they made um, an issue of that for the good of the European Cup, young kids going through mm. to their dream. Mm. But Gary never got a medal either. Um, so, you know, consequently, they gave us, Clough gave us, uh, gave me anyway. Gary again didn't get one, but I get a replica. I got a replica made by a jeweller in Derby. So that's all I know. That's yeah. all I know where they came from. Um, and you know it's a replica, but yeah. You know. yeah. And I, I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this thing so many times before, um, and nothing's ever been done. And you know, I think there must be a mint somewhere where they could mint five or six medals off and give them to the players that deserve it. Uh, but that's never happened. No. But looking back, I mean, Cluffy, in Maurice Edwards' book, uh, he says he described you as a model professional. And looking back yourself now, what would your favourite memory of Cluffy be? Just being in the dressing room. Um, and I mean that 
in the nicest way, the one person you wanted to walk through that door at quarter to three was Brian Clough. Because when he walked through that door at quarter to three, we were ready. That, you know, we were ready to go. We knew exactly what happened. So that, to me, is a defining moment of what he had over us. People said he ruled by fear. You don't play if you rule by fear. Um, but what he made you aware of, that each and every time you went out on that football pitch, you had to give your all. And if you gave your all, even though you go through a nightmare, even if you're playing the worst game of your, your life, if you gave your all and you didn't show it that you were having a bad time, you were in next week. He never even said you were rubbish today. Never said that. Honestly, never said that. Colin Barrett, thanks ever so much for sharing your memories today. It's been really special uh, hearing those stories and, and thinking back to those glory years. Thanks very much, Marcus. Thank you. And thanks, of course, to you for listening. Don't forget that competition to win a book signed by Colin Barrett. Just visit the podcast page on brianclough.com, which has all the terms and conditions. I hope you can join me next time for more memories of the great man in the green jumper. Jumper.